And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to From the Rookery End, a podcast about Watford Football Club, uh, brought to you by The Athletic. Uh, my name is John, with me uh, after Watford drew nil-nil away at the city ground against Nottingham Forest uh, is Colin. Good evening. And Michael. Hello. There'll be a, a podcast we do, uh, sort of the end of May, mid-end of May, it'll be highlights of the year. We'll talk about lots of games. I don't think we'll be talking about this one. What do you reckon, Colin? <laughs> no, the last, no, we won't be. Almost certainly it will be forgotten and put in uh, beyond the memory banks where it can no longer be retrieved from the hard disk. A poor, uh, rather dull, rather uninteresting game with almost no incident apart from a uh, possible sending off for Chalabar for a second yellow card, which wasn't given. So he escaped one there, although he is not going to play on Saturday because he's reached the magic five yellow cards already. So Fate Holobas of him. That was, the, uh, that was about the only thing that stood out for me. But I, I'd just like to say that the last time we played Forest, which was in our promotion season, it was also a midweek evening game. And I took Florence, who was then, I guess, 12 or 13, and it was her first ever evening away game. I picked her up from school. We drove like... Uh, all the way to Nottingham, almost didn't make it because of the traffic, got there and watched uh, a game that couldn't be more of a contrast than tonight's rather dull fare. We watched um, a 3-1 win. Matthew Connolly, who was a loanee, some people will remember him, who was a loanee from Cardiff that the Pozzos had brought in. He, he made this kind of startling, he was a centre-back or a left-back, and he made this startling run from one end of the pitch in our, in our area all the way up to the other end of the pitch, shot, it hit the it hit the um, keeper. It came down to Igalo, and Igalo pushed it back to Connolly, who scored. And uh, we uh, then we went two 0 up, I think, and then it was two one, and then and then Abdi scored the most beautiful goal. You should watch it on YouTube. It's just like a pass. It's like so. It's full of grace and uh, uh, and skill, and just yeah. He's so relaxed. He just sort of side foots it into the goal for the third goal. And we were behind that goal. Second half, we were screaming. It was our promotion year. And it was a very exciting game, and um, and then we we drove home full of elation. And uh, I'm, I'm rather the complete glad I wasn't... opposite of today. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Mike, exactly. This is our yeah, our waveform is is the thing that people have been discussing. We had a couple of mentions of it in in on the on the WhatsApp group. Uh, can you put your finger on it? Do you think it's more of a mentality thing? Do you think it's more the fact that we are the big dogs uh, and teams are having us at theirs and don't want to be embarrassed at home and lose their home form? What What is it, do you think? Is there, is, can you put your finger on it? I, I can't really put my, my finger on it, no. I mean, we've been... We have scored goals. I mean, the thing that stands out is... And I think we'd be, be remiss of us not to mention this stat right at the start. Is that's now eight away games and three goals, which is... That's abnormal by anyone's standards. Even even if you were bottom of the league, I think you'd probably expect to score more than three goals in an eight-game 
period. Contrast that with we also have to look at it in context of where we are in the league, which is joint second, one point off top. So in the wider scheme of things, things are obviously going all right, aren't they? And Geordie tonight on WhatsApp was making an impassioned defence of where we're at, and it's and it's hard to argue with the with the with the where we are in the league, isn't it? If we're if we're planning to get back into the Premier League, then we are there or thereabouts where we need to be. But yeah, the, the, your question is is uh, I'm, I'm not answering your question because I haven't got got an answer. It's at home we've been. I hesitate to say we've been magnificent because I think the performances have, we've had a little bit of luck here and there, been far from comprehensive, far from convincing at home with, with Saturday's victory over Preston North End accepted. But the results have been good and and, and the goals have, have, have gone in a little bit, haven't they? Uh, and so, yeah, it's just, it's how do you, how do you odds a team that scored four in one game on Saturday and scored three uh, in what, a quarter of the season uh, in eight in eight games away from home, the only thing I can sort of put down to, down to is we've done two midweek podcasts in a row where we've sort of said, "God, Watford aren't as good," and that's the fact that we are playing a lot of football very very quickly. Colin, do you think it's is it catching up on this or on on this squad? Not because it's a quality squad, we know that's true, but in terms of the depth of this squad at the moment. Um, I don't think it's catching up, but I do think there's an issue, which is, and I listened to um, one of the women football players who plays for England, and I think maybe Chelsea, and she was saying, when you play a lot of games in a row, the toughest day of your week is what she called match day plus two. So you play a match on the Saturday, match day plus one is Sunday, match day plus two is the Monday, and that's the day that you really feel the fatigue. That's the day where you really need to rest and recover. Now, if you're playing every three or four days, Match day plus two is also match day minus one for the next game. Mm. And on that day, she was really clear. She said, in the day before a game, that's when you do your most intense training because you're setting yourself up for the intensity, your intensity in the game. So you get the squad players to play as your opposition. You put your 11 on the training pitch and you play with real intensity. Now, if that is also match day plus two, that's when all the players are feeling fatigued. So coaches will be worried about being too intense. And I thought it really showed tonight because Forrest really looked there for the taking. They didn't press us. They looked uh, nervous. They didn't seem all that confident. They sat in their own half. They were happy to soak up pressure at home against us. But what we didn't have was that extra 10% of intensity where we could drive players into the box. We could bring those fullbacks up to support the front players and create chance after chance. We had total control of the game. In fact, it was almost too easy. And I wonder whether that is because after only three days rest, they haven't had a chance to regain that intensity for a match or whether they're being slightly protective of their bodies because they can feel that fatigue starting to build up or whether it could just have been that they were so confident Watford because Forrest basically just gave them the ball and said off you go lads play we're going to sit deep and you have to break us down and I think Watford played a little bit like well if we keep playing like this we're going to score at some point and then it just didn't happen and in the second half they kind of realised that Forrest and they came out and they did play with more intensity Mm -hmm. and they actually threatened us so I think it's a combination probably of all those things mentally it's tough to play a game try to recover physically then try to go again three days later and then uh, play another match with the right mental attitude, with the right physical strength. I think it is hard. Um, we've got good players in our squad. We had a strong bench. Maybe 
Uh, if we can settle on a good system and the whole squad knows what the system is, then maybe you can rotate a little bit more and give some players a rest and, and, and freshen the 11 up with players who haven't played three days before who can bring that sort of intensity. But it seemed to me, particularly in the first half, that Ibic had told Ngakia and Firminia not to get up, to stay basically, to go to the halfway line and stop. In the second half, he sent them forward a bit more. But actually, if he just had that little in-game insight and thought, look at Forrest, they're sitting so deep. They're, they're begging us to score. I think Tom, Tommy Mooney said it in, in, in the commentary. Forrest looked like they're just waiting for Watford to score. And, and if he'd seen that and said to the two fullbacks, this is the moment after 10, 15 minutes, just go, go, go. And get, in, get those, push the, the wide players narrower towards Deeney, get more men in the box, push Garner up or push Queener into the middle and, and just create some chances and score a goal. Because one goal was always going to win that game, I yeah. felt, and we weren't able to, to get it. I actually thought, I thought, yeah, I thought we looked more encouraging in the first half than we did this time last week in that in that game that I was so disappointed at Bristol City, I thought at least there was a bit of industry and a bit of dynamism and a bit of yeah. movement in the, in that final third. It wasn't clicking, but at least they were trying to make things happen. They were, they were playing the balls and moving, ducking inside, trying to get it out wide. Um, and I think the delivery again was a was a big problem problem tonight. And it, and it didn't click early on, but you did get the sense that, right, we got, are going to get in behind. Saar was buzzing around a little bit. Queener was, was busy again, wasn't he? And I thought he was good. Jao Pedro is obviously, um, you know, the touch he has and the skill he has is only ever going to take a flash from him to, to get through. I thought Troy Deeney looked, looked OK again. So, it, But it just didn't happen. And ultimately, we didn't, we didn't lay a glove on them, really, did we? The only chance was the, the late, late Deeney chance in the, in the second half. And and I take on board what you're saying, Colin, about the about fatigue and, and and quoting a professional footballer. Obviously, I'm not going to going to argue with that. But also, you think about how buoyant we were on Saturday evening and how effusive we were about the, about the performance and how we said, right, we hope this is a springboard. And if if a team is going to sort of um, beat fatigue, you would have thought it would be off off the back of a a four a thumping four one home win against the team. Yeah. Struggling, Definitely. struggling for points. Who are sitting off, and it's just whether it has just become whether it could be instructions from from Vladimir Ivic away from home. You know, he may well be um, in cahoots with Jace. We'll win our home <laughs> games and we'll draw our away games. And they could have made a, a pact between them, and they're going to God damn it, they're going to stick to it. I do um, like the fact that already in our WhatsApp group, Jason has already said he said, "Win your home games, draw your away games, blah blah blah." You know, I mean, even he's a, he's you know, he he knows he's a uh, stuck record. I mean, we 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 sort of had not arguments but debates among ourselves on the WhatsApp group. DCW suggesting that he'd prefer to see a four-three defeat um, instead of another nil-nil. And I, I understand a hundred percent where he's coming from. And I'm sure the watching public do it as well but also you know a draw is a point and uh, you know I made the analogy which I was quite pleased of actually one of my it's not it's not like a we're like a heavyweight championship boxer clinching our way to a points decision and you, you mentioned at the start there John we would talk about individual games we certainly won't talk about this one but if we if we win the league by a point then this this has been a good good result, hasn't it? So I, I think it's a bit different in the championship. I was talking this over with uh, Oliver Wicken. We were having a chat on the phone, and he was saying one of the things he was enjoying about being in the championship was the difference in emphasis on each game. We all know that 
you know, when you play in the Premier League, as we have done for the last five seasons, it becomes almost unbearable, the pressure on every single game. You know, you've got to get a point from this game. You've lost your last three. You've got to get find a win from somewhere. Every single game becomes this kind of epic uh, moment in the season. We lost our first four games last season. Manager went, panic stations, you know, how are we going to get out of it? You look at Sheffield United this season, one point from nine games, panic. You know, they're not going to panic, but they're going to find it very, very hard to stay up with that kind of start. In the championship... You don't have to think about individual games in quite the same way. Or well, this is what this was the point Ollie was making. He was saying, you know, you can you can take four or five games and say, well, we're playing five games this month, or we're playing three games in the next uh, ten days, or whatever. And you can take those games as a kind of as as a as a trio of games and think, okay, well, it would be really good if we could get seven points from those games. So we, that's a boring nil all draw. If we beat Cardiff, then oh, we're still we're still ahead of the of the curve, if you like. And I and that when he said that, it kind of made sense to me. It also relaxed me somewhat because I was still slightly in Premier League mode. Like every game, you know, we've got to get something from this game. It is very very different the Championship, and I think we're all having to adjust in some way uh, and, and not quite sure. I don't. I wasn't quite sure how to respond to that game. But I didn't know whether I should be cross or frustrated or whether I should be happy with a point or, oh, well, just that's just another point in the bag. Let's move on to Saturday, beat Cardiff. That'll be four points from the two games. You know, hurrah, let's move on. We've got another 12 million games before Boxing Day. So it's kind of weird, isn't it? It's very hard to know quite how to react. Obviously, you know how to react to a 4-1 thumping at home. But when it's, a, you know, when it's an ill or draw, it's hard to know. There's no point. There's no point pretending it's any, anything other than dull, dull as dishwater. It's it's absolutely, you know, Tommy Mooney and John Marks on commentary were joking about the the, the viewers or listeners that were left that hadn't switched over to I'm a celebrity. So you know, it no, was on in the background, Mark. It was on in the background. <laughs> there's no, there's no sugar. In fact, that might be a decent uh, Bush Tucker trial. Let's see if he can sit through a Watford away game and uh, get, get ten stars for your for your campmates. But um, you know, there's, there's no sugar coating it. But by the same token. If Watford draw nil nil draw their way to, to away from home to promotion, mm. no one, and I do mean no one, will care. We'll be back in the Premier League and we'll have the other stresses to worry about that Colin just just talked about. So, and yeah, I think Colin's right. It's it's an odd situation, exacerbated, of course. And we, and you know, this is the week finally that we're finally seeing supporters back in, but we we're not there. No one is there to to vent their frustration or to or to have a pint or a pie or to laugh at that uh, Amiobi cross-come shot or whatever it was. There's <laughs> that no... was funny. It was quite extraordinary, wasn't it? I thought John, uh, I thought Tommy Mooney and John Marks were absolutely going to lose it at one point. With the... But that was the nature of the um, the game. That was the most entertaining bit of it. But no one get you don't get that visceral, that, you know, the, everything that Colin explained, going up there with Flo, the, the mad rush, the, um, the you're too hot because your coat's on and you've had to rush to get to the game. Um, you stay too long cheering at the end and then you realise it's three o'clock in the morning by the time you get home. <laughs> all that sort of stuff, all that guff and nonsense that combines to make football what we know it is. We're not getting it. All we're getting is sitting in front of a laptop or a TV screen watching it and it's with no fans in the ga- in the ground on TV either. So it's the the... The experience is totally alien to us all and we're not getting the nutritious bits out of it, which is why I think they feel those results feel difficult to take. And they are boring. There's no, you know, we're old enough and ugly enough to, to, to say what it is. 
boring, dull, attritional football. There was no uh, no real attacking flair, no real attacking intent that that came to anything. Defensively, we were solid, and it's another point. And that kind of that that's it. And if it if that's enough to get us up, then good. But it's a it's a massive massive gamble, and I, and and I really don't think that with a with a squad like ours. They should be um, accepting too many performances like that. We've already had too many. You know, Christian Cabaselli was on at the full-time whistle talking to Emma and, and Rob Page and Helen Ward, who were all excellent, I thought, tonight in, in yeah, helming that, terrific, that yeah. coverage. And great insight from both Helen and, and Rob Page. They continue to get really interesting guests on there. So that that's a plus. Cabaselli afterwards was saying, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm upset and disappointed because we want to get back to the Premier League and that's not how you do it. So at least there mm. is some... Um, and that's not Vladimir Ivic coming out and saying we haven't played well enough. That's the centre-back coming off the pitch and within 45 seconds saying he's disappointed and upset. So at least that's something. But it also tells me, well, why? Why you, Why has that performance happened again? Uh, you know, there's been eight pretty average, at best, away performances, haven't they? Mm. They've varied mm. from sub subpar to roundabout par if on a, on a good day that you know the best has been that you know we won away at derby but but through one minute of, of one one jao pedro wonder strike otherwise that would have been nil nil as well so why why is it and you know the the are the players good enough that's that that's that's a question are they good enough to do it regularly because we talked about yes we're scoring at home but also the performances haven't exactly been um overwhelmingly positive exciting and and confidence inspiring have they so are they good enough? There's still a lot of still a lot of questions, but second in the league, one off 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 the top with a third of the season gone. So if we repeat that for the next two thirds, then you know it's going to be an interesting interesting last yeah. couple of weeks, and we probably won't be arguing too much. Um, but it'd be fascinating to see you know what impact the crowds coming back has. I know you know there's been a lot made of it and i think that the, the the crowds that have been there tonight they've made a surprising amount of noise has been the the evidence that i've seen and heard so i think it will be noisy i think the the, the players will react well to it but there is obviously a concern that whilst a, a, a clean sheet and a point away from home is never to be sniffed at it's the regularity of these off-key downbeat uninspiring slightly worrying performances away from home and that there are there are a lot of questions over that and why the fact we've been talking for what 20 25 minutes there's perhaps the fatigue thing that that Colin says which I think is sensible whether they're managing it I get that I I think that probably for me feels a bit of a cop out at this time of the season with the with the squad we've got which now by the way we're going to have to use Chalabar is is now suspended five yellow cards Cathcart's done his hamstring uh Kapu Semmer uh, and a another are going to be out, um, assuming it's it's those two that are, that are in, uh, that had the COVID issue. So we are going to have to to shuffle the packet to to a degree um, on on Saturday against Cardiff. But I just think there's enough depth in this squad mm. for us to, mm. to 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 manage the workload and 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 quite frankly give it a little bit more of a a, a go than that. I mean when when Troy Deeney hit that shot and you saw the ferocity of it from from the on the replay that oh my gosh it was quite it's quite shocking. It was like oh did Blimey hit that hard didn't he kick that ball yeah. it's like it almost shook everyone out of their their sort of slumber and it it shouldn't be like that should it? It's the you know no. the most the most active the most exciting 
and I use the word advisedly, it was was when there's a couple of rash challenges, when we wondered whether Chalabar yeah. was going to get sent off. That was the height, uh, really, of the second half intrigue. And, you know, that's from an entertain, a, entertainment point of view, uh, none out of 10. Uh, keeping the season ticking over, seven out of 10. Um, mm. But are we going to get away with that for much longer? I, I, I have my doubts, but, you know, we are where we are and you can't pick holes in, in, in the stats, in the data, in the, in the league table, can you? Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. From the Rookery End, a podcast about life following Watford FC. As we normally do on these midweek podcasts, we catch up with Adam Neventhal, the Watford correspondent for The Athletic. Uh, we get to hear about all the things he's been up to and what he's been investigating. Get to hear from Adrian Mariapa uh, in this little section that we recorded earlier at the City Ground while he was on his phone to Mike and I. And of course, we had to discuss a certain person who has been, yet again, a very silly boy. Earlier this week, your focus went back to Mr. Andre Gray. And uh, his, let's say, lack of sense is how I want to say, uh, maybe I'm wrong, um, <laughs> about how he is acting as a public figure uh, during these very unfortunate times that we live in with COVID. Uh, and he got caught again, didn't he? Yeah, he did. It, it was a, an article that appeared in the, in the Sun newspaper late on Monday night. And it showed a little video image of Andre at what appeared to be sort of like a bar within his house and, and then a group of friends with them playing poker in, in the foreground. And it was clear that there had been a, a gathering. And within that article, you know, it was very straight up, really. It was, it was the case that Andre Gray had uh, apologised and wholeheartedly, you know, accepted that it was a, a mistake. And then from my point of view, it was just a matter of then seeing, right, well, what are the next steps in terms of what the club is going to do and they made it very clear and this was you know via Vladimirovich's press conference as well when he spoke about his disappointment the club had said you know we're, we're going to keep this private basically I wanted to sort of have a look at how the club potentially would react even though they'd said that they wanted to keep things in-house I was able to sort of find out a little bit of detail about how the the contracts are structured in terms of disciplinary issues get an initial oral warning or then a written warning and then if there's another second offence which obviously in Andre Gray's case this this was his second offence because he was um, censured for holding that party back at the end of June um, and I was just trying to work out what situation that the club was going to be in in terms of what financial punishment they might give him or if it was going to be anything more um, so, you know, that's all in the article that I've, I've written recently. And obviously, Surrey Police, he lives down in, in Surrey. They were also notified about the incident. And that led to them looking into it, looking into the circumstances of it. And, you know, I discovered the fact that they have actually fined him a fixed penalty, which is which is £200. Now, that obviously doesn't seem a lot of money to, to a multi-million pound footballer, but... You know, let's let's be fair in this. You can't just 
you know, structure your fines for someone simply because they've got a lot of money. It doesn't work like that. So this is a standard fine that they would give anyone that was found to have uh, committed this sort of offence. Obviously, if there was a, a larger scale rave that had been organised by uh, Andre Gray, um, then that would have been where you'd start to get the, the higher fines upwards of, you know, six, seven, eight, nine, ten thousand pounds. Um, but that wasn't the case. And officers visited his home as I understand it, and he was given that fine. So, you know, you've got all the, the details there, and, and the article sort of goes into the, the, the ins and outs of it. But then you obviously have the, the fan reaction as well, and the, and the club reaction. Quite rightly, there's, there's disappointment within the club because the whole image of the club is sort of tainted a little bit when you've got a player not abiding by the rules, and many of the other players seemingly are doing so, especially with the work that the club has done so closely aligned with the Watford General Hospital next door and, you know, support for NHS workers, the Hornets at Home programme, which is trying to sort of help people that are maybe isolated, maybe have suffered losses and all that sort of stuff. It's just such a shame that having, you know, committed this initial offence back in June, that he didn't learn his lesson and thought that he could still stay outside of the outside of the rules. And I just think it's, you know, it's not the most heinous of crimes that he has committed but at this sort of very, very sensitive time where everyone has made sacrifices and we've, we're, it's almost like we've, it's, it's a record going round again. We're, we're talking about exactly the same things with, with Andre Gray. It's just a, a real disappointment that he has felt that he could sit outside of these rules. And at the same time, and this is just one other thing, he was also injured in the game against Preston. So I could imagine that he was feeling pretty miserable that evening and in normal circumstances, and I'm not going to speak for you know, anyone else, but say if it was me, and I was injured and I thought, right, I've, I've missed the first two months of the season. I might be facing another eight weeks on the sideline because I've done my hamstring again. I would think, you know what, I'm pretty beeped off and I want to sort of escape from this and have a few drinks, invite my mates around and it's just sort of a bit of escapism. And I can understand that side of things. So there's a mental health sort of side of side of things to it. That's the whole point, isn't it? And uh, we don't want to dwell on this too long. And But that that is the point that we all want to escape from everything that's going on at the moment. You're right. It, that is the point. In normal circumstances, you would do that. But we're not in normal circumstances. And before and been told not to do it. So don't do it again. I think, you know, that's that's the long and short of it, isn't it? There's people in a lot less secure situations than Andre Gray who are able to toe the line, to abide by the, law, by the rules. And it's not just the fact they're rules. It's the, the fact that the rules are in place. Let's, let's, forget, let's, let's remember why those rules are in place, to protect each other. And that's what it comes down to. It's, a, it's how you act as a human being. Um, I was... Very pretty made my thoughts pretty clear when this happened the first time. My view obviously hasn't changed. You know, I have a, a son who's at risk. My parents are elderly. We have people very close to us who have lost people. So you have to make your mind up how you act as a person under what are very, very difficult circumstances. But you weigh up the right and the left and you choose which way you go. And I don't want to say any more uh, about it because I've said it all before. And I think we're, everyone's on the same page on it. It's deeply deeply disappointing well one now former Watford player who has the values uh, that we want to keep within our football club is Adrian Mariapa Adam you got to speak to him this week his first interview since leaving Watford well you, you did ask him didn't you about that exit what, what did you get much <laughs> no, he was was prepared to talk about it in a in a diplomatic way, and as you've alluded to there, that's the sort of expectation that you would have of someone like Adrian Mariapa. You know, he's someone with the the club at his heart. 
and he's not going to be someone that's going to come out and be all guns blazing and sort of do some big expose and say this went wrong, he's an idiot and all that sort of stuff. And he's also not cut from that critical cloth, really. Maybe, you know, down the line he might choose to right some wrongs or say certain things. Maybe he might do that, but he's at the moment trying to build the next chapter of his career. And I think sort of showing that you're sort of someone that shoots from the hip all the time doesn't necessarily endear yourself to future employers. And at the moment, you know, he's just played his first 90 minutes for Bristol City against QPR. Well done to him. They won at QPR. Um, and he's now moving on. That was the case in the interview that I, I did with him. There were so many other things to talk about with him, in particular, how he dealt with the fact that he wasn't going to have his contract renewed and how he sort of was able to then go, right, okay, I've got to switch my focus to getting another club. And I was actually able to speak to both him and to his fitness instructor, uh, strength and conditioning coach, Matt Springham, who used to work at Watford, who uh, that's where they first got to know each other. And Matt and, and, um, Matt Springham have worked together ever since prior to every pre-season, just so he's sort of in the right condition just to go back into pre-season. And that, that sort of speaks of his dedication to his trade. So um, I was able to sort of find out what he did, you know, that he was training with two other guys that had been released from Reading, one of his former clubs, in between his two spells at, at Watford. And he was, you know, just the, the, the sort of dedicated pro that you would expect, just concentrating on his physical fitness. And that's tied in with his, with his mental health as well. You know, he, he did admit that it's been hard, but being able to dedicate himself to moving on to the next step and sort of isolating that disappointment away from his day-to-day -day workings when he could concentrate on fitness and all that sort of stuff was his, was his main thing. So, you know, that was one of the topics that I was able to talk to him about, but there was, there was so many more, of course. Let's hear a bit of that interview that uh, Adam did uh, with um, Adrian. I, I feel bad calling him Maps. I want to call him Maps. Well, I feel like a friend. But anyway, <laughs> Mr. Mariapa. Uh, Mr. Mariapa. Uh, and uh, about, his, about the exit and, and other things about his time at Watford FC. Obviously, I didn't know my future at that point as regards to, you know, whether I was still going to be at Watford or not. I was, like I said, I was on holiday and um, I always knew I was going to come back from holiday. And, you know, even before anyone had gone back to pre-season, I booked in with, with Matt anyway to do work leading up to pre-season, even though obviously it was a short period of time. But yeah, that was always my plan. And, and if I didn't go back in pre-season, you know, at Watford or anywhere else, I knew that um, my plan was to to just carry on working and obviously ramp it up. So eventually when I did go in somewhere, I could be as ready as I could. I, you know, I, I trust Matt and his work so much. You know, the, the results I've seen in, in my personal development coming back to pre-seasons after working with him. And I always feel like I've had a really good edge coming back, feeling in great, you know, physical form. And, you know, and that turn gives you, gives you confidence as well. So um, that was, you know, always my plan. I could have just gone and done it on myself working with someone who has that level of expertise as, as he does you know it gives you confidence that you know you're you're doing stuff that's going to benefit you know you're going to see real benefit we were doing four sessions a week um in person but he was setting up my whole um my whole week so my rest days telling me the days I should be doing yoga sessions and you know what I should be doing on my rest days and stuff and just allowed him just just to take control of of all of it really would this be the first period of time where you've had to do this? When I left Crystal Palace and I re-signed at Watford, that was right at the end of the, the transfer window. That time, because I had international duty, so I played in the Copa America, so that obviously extended you know, the time that you know, my season was longer anyway. 
obviously that was a shorter period of time so I'd, I'd had a little bit of time off and then done my own work then but seeing the difference from doing my own work then to the next few summers of working with Springy the difference was you know it was huge and this is one of the reasons why obviously I, like, I love working with Matt because you can just dial in and focus on on the session and, and what you need to do you know when I was very young you know you know I was lucky enough to, to work with sports psychologists and stuff and, you know one of the key things that always stuck with me was you know control the controllable you know so you can't control COVID, um, you know, who's going to give you contracts, et cetera. You know, some of those things you, you can't control, but, you know, the things you can control is going out, doing the work that's required, making sure you're as ready as you can be. You can't just sit there, you know, feeling sorry for yourself, so to speak. Things change very quickly in football. So at any point you could have got a phone call and the last thing you want to do is get a phone call, need to go in, train somewhere and know, wow, I didn't do the work that was required to be ready, as ready as I need to be. It seems like a lot of different perceptions on what was going on last season after the cup final and then post-lockdown. And you you experienced, obviously you had COVID as well yourself. How do you summarise that season? I think it's something probably um, I'm still looking at now, trying to, trying to digest really, especially you know, when you go from having you know, such a good season the, the season before. There's probably a lot of stuff that you know I won't I won't go into now. You know, stuff that probably happened you know behind the scenes that didn't help as well. You know, ultimately as a group we just didn't perform well enough. You know, week in week out to the levels that that we could do. It becomes tough down there as well. And I think we gathered a lot of momentum just before lockdown. I thought we was in a good you know we was in a good place. And I do think not having fans in the stadium. I think you know that that affected us, you know, negatively. I think we were one of the teams that were were thriving off having the fans there come into our place, you know, become a real, real tough place. And we we thought we could beat anyone. I think we were one of the teams that, you know, really suffered from from not having fans there and like I said, losing that bit of momentum. How far ahead do you plan now in terms of how long you want to carry on? It's a question I think I've I've kind of asked myself quite a few times, but I still feel in really good shape. You know, I'll keep playing as long as I'm enjoying it and as long as I'm fit and healthy to do so. You can't, I don't think it's something you can put a number on. I'm very aware that I've been fortunate to, you know, to play for the amount of years that, that I have. You know, there's you know, plenty of people who, who haven't been you know, fortunate like that. So, you know, trying not to look, I suppose, too far in the future, but I try to prepare for it. So, I, you know, I try to look after myself, even though I'm vegan, you know, you you know, it doesn't mean that you're eating very healthy, but I try to eat healthily. Obviously, I take a lot of advice from from Matt on on my performance stuff. You know, because you know he's an expert in what he does. You know, all those little one percent in my career so far, they've all added up to help me give me the the best possible chance to to play for as long as I can. Because you know that's something I've I've always had in the back of my mind to to play as long as I can. I remember Steve Palmer told me he you know he had a you know fantastic career. Obviously, played until he was. I think 38 years old and tremendous athlete. And he said to me, you know, he regretted not playing one more season because <laughs> he said, you know, he was physically able to do so. And, you know, the hunger was still there, but, you know, he didn't do it. But he always looks back and think, oh, you know, I should have done it for an extra year. So for, for myself, I'll just, you know, keep playing for, you know, as long as I can do. What emotions are conjured up when you think of your Watford career? The first moment I'd say um, that was, a, I think, a big catalyst for me becoming a professional was not getting the a scholarship 
yeah, obviously something that at that age can seem quite a negative decision. That gave me real focus at that age, just to to make it as a professional. And I think I've never really lost sight of that experience from there. I was told I was too small from the age of 14 to play centre-back probably every every year. But for, for different reasons, I, I didn't get the scholarship at that time. I was on a part-time, same as Ashley Young. It just made me knuckle down. Obviously, I'd seen him go through the same experience a couple of years before and took a lot from, from what he had done and obviously watched him a lot. And yeah, it just made me really hungry to, to succeed. What does this then lead on to, Maps, in terms of... I know you said, I'll, co- I'll keep on playing as long as I can. What's next? I'd love to go into coaching. It's something I've, I've talked about quite openly, you know, and you know, trying to be a coach and, you know, eventually a manager. You know, even now, you know, I love just helping, you know, like the younger players around me and I'll always be giving them advice. I love watching players improve. I like just having a positive impact on the environment and the, the players around me. And I had a lot of, you know, managers, good managers and, you know, not so good managers that I've managed to, to learn from and pick up stuff from as well. And I mean, I think it's something that, you know, really intrigues me, the the coaching game. And I know it's, it's totally different to playing. Yeah, it's definitely something I want to get my teeth into. You know, it's not something I just want to, you know, rush through. You know, I want to, you know, to learn and soak up as, as much of the information as I can. And, you know, every day, you know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to learn whatever the coaches I have, you know, at, at Bristol now, there's some brilliant coaches there. And I'm always watching the sessions and, and, you know, even just like how, how other players are, are responding to, you know, different coaching techniques. You were, you were talking about your highlights at Watford. I can't remember what game it is, but there's that, there's that the slow-mo of you sort of punching in situation. I don't think you'd even scored, had you? It... Chelsea at home when we, uh, we were 1-0 up, Hazard scored, and then Darian Matt went on that crazy oh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. run. And, yeah, we beat them 4-1. I remember that, I remember that game really well, really well. I was. I think we played three at the back, and it was myself and Daryl Yamat on our side. I remember Hazard just he slipped in between both of us, and he, he shot from about twenty-five yards. It's gone in, but I had a little pop at Daryl, and then uh, obviously two minutes later, he's run through their whole team and scored. And if you're watching the celebrations, he's turning to me to, to give me a, like a bit back. Well, obviously I was just buzzing anyway, but uh, yeah, it's it brilliant. That was a good night. Good night at the Vic, that. One quick thing on Javi. I did an interview with him and he said that when you scored the own goal against Brighton, he got in touch. He was a, he was a good guy, wasn't he? No, yeah, he, listen, I can't, I can't speak, you know, any more highly of, of the type of person he is, you know, and, you know, he, he had messaged me before that, you know, we still keep in contact now. You know, obviously I was, I was disappointed at that. And yeah, he just, you know, gave me a message, you know, get your head up and, um, you know, which is something I've, I've you know, I try to do anyway. I've had plenty of negative moments in my career that I've had to to grow from and learn from. Obviously, that's you know that was just another one anyway. Lovely to hear from from Aidy Mariapa there, and understandably not not much about uh, about Watford um, departure. I think that all is is something for the fullness of time. But there's a couple of lovely little bits we took out of that. One, I think, is mentioning the the crowd, and he said that Watford suffered post lockdown with not having the the crowd there. And I think in the week that that fans are finally heading back to football stadiums, it, you know, obviously in smaller numbers. I think that's great 
for us to hear as supporters, isn't it? He made the point that it really, really did make a difference. It does make a difference. They felt better with, with the crowd behind them at Vicarage Road. And I think as Watford supporters, that, that's great to hear. I think it's always nice to have that reaffirmed as supporters, that we aren't just sort of howling at the moon, um, spending our hard-earned money, wasted, you know, spending all our time traipsing around the country. It does make a difference. So it, it was good to, to, to hear him mention that. I love the story about um, Daryl Yanmat. That was absolutely, um, absolutely fantastic at Chelsea with uh, Jan Matt having the last laugh dancing dancing through it but but ultimately I found the whole thing really really inspiring um you know a model pro who effectively was you know the the, the question about what's one of your most defining or biggest memories about Watford and it was that initial rejection wasn't it and when he when he mentioned that Everything slotted into place that, you know, his his dedication to to fitness, um, everything. He was just so, uh, you know, he's described as meticulous, I think, wasn't he? And lovely to hear someone just so committed to their trade, which in this case is is football. And again, for us as supporters, I think that's quite nice to hear on, on in a week where we've heard someone who has perhaps made a bad decision in in Adrian Mariapa's case he's committed his his life to making good decisions in terms of being the best footballer he can be in turn representing the club that he plays for the best he, the best he can and I, I found his story you know you take football out of it that what an inspirational story he had a knockback as a youngster and has has taken that and it has fueled him throughout and and you know I've met him very briefly at various things and he comes across as a, as a nice guy the interview he comes across as a nice guy so a nice hard-working footballer who's made a, a success out of his career and who is who is always working towards the next thing just so lovely to hear and Mike I think you know one final thing to sort of draw out of it aside from the veganism which is mentioned in the piece which I'm, I have a vested interest in I have my uh, vegan ginster corn uh, pasty oh with me today here at the, uh, mm. at the city ground just to, just to, just to let you know yeah really 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 appetizing that one it was the only option in in the uh, petrol station incidentally anyway I, I i digress um but you know talking about the fact that that strong bond with with watford and, and adrian mariapa you know it's mentioned in the piece that there was an apology after not leaving the club in the right way and the club not sort of saying goodbye as they had done with Aurelio gomez and, and jose holobas it appears that the the dinner that was organised for him in March, which got cancelled due to the pandemic, which was going to be a celebration of his time at the club, there is still plans to have that reorganised down the line, and that's something that the club said, you know, at that at that time. And I don't think that, despite the the sort of the silence over his exit, that that overall plan has changed. So hopefully, in the fullness of time, there will be an opportunity for you know Adrian to come back to the club in some form, have this event. And there'll be some closure there, hopefully, once we get back to some sort of normality and, and, and events and things like that are possible. So hopefully there'll be a happy ending down the line. So, Adam, you've written a piece this week uh, with, uh, with Jack Lang uh, at The Athletic about, well, the future, let's say, Watford star, who's, well, starting to be at least, Jao Pedro. Uh, and it was a, a fascinating piece that, you know, basically it's The Athletic all over. It's, it's finding out about them, but it's finding out at great depth and really sort of understanding it. And I, I read it and I, I just thought I didn't know a lot about Jao Pedro and, and feel like I, I know him a little, a little bit better. How do, how do you put an article like that together with such a young player who's from Brazil? Good question, because when he first arrived and in the build-up to him arriving in January of last year, we were able to do you know, a certain amount of research into him. 
but there wasn't really much to, to talk about. And we weren't necessarily sure how much of an impact he was going to have last season. And it proved that it was only a sort of a, a small smattering of games that he was going to play. But there was always a, a tale to be told on you know how this this boy from Brazil got discovered and then eventually made his way over to England. So you know we've been working on it for for quite some time actually, and picking the right time to to drop a piece like that is is always sort of it's always an interesting one. Do we do we run it now? Do we you know? So we've sort of had it bubbling and, and sort of preparing it for, for for a couple of weeks. And Jack Lang, who you mentioned there. He is like the, the hive of knowledge on, on South American football for The Athletic. And he was able to source a couple of interviews with, with people that had worked with João Pedro back in Brazil, you know, in his formative years, seen how he developed some of the sort of the difficulties that he'd had, his transition in different positions as well, his mentality, also the challenges that he'd had in terms of his um, family background and how Fluminense had, had looked after him and, and carefully cared for him you know, on the field, in training and things like that, but also externally with, with his mum as well, who was having some financial difficulties and stuff like that. Because the article started, Adam, with, well, it, 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 it blew me away a little bit. João Pedro's first television appearance came in 2010, when he was only eight years old. He was considered, even then, to be one of the stars of the Botafogo's Academy in Ribeirão Preto, the city of his birth, and destined for big things. But the main focus of the report was his father, José João de Jesus, more commonly known as Chical. He was a footballer too, and played for the senior team. The fans loved Chical, a combative defensive midfielder signed from Inter de Limeira, who gave everything for the shirt. In 2001, he helped his side to the final of the Sao Paulo State Championship, where they were beaten by Corinthians. The manager of the opponents at the time was Vandalai Luxembourgo, who was keen to sign Chical. But it was a move that never materialized, because Chical's life, and that of his family, was about to change forever. In 2002, he was sentenced to 16 years in prison for being an accessory to murder. Talked about some of those other moments in his, his life, Adam. What for you, you know, knowing more about him now, what do you think is the most defining moment he had in developing him as a footballer? Well, that's a big question. But I think aside from, you know, obviously you've heard there, you know, he has got footballing genes. His, his father was a footballer and was a footballer that could have gone on to, to greater things. And, you know, I, I almost say it in the piece that the, the footballing baton was passed on when his father went to prison and then, you know, he was already being talked about as a great young player at the age of eight. And then when he made that move and he was discovered um, by Fluminense playing in a tournament not far away from his hometown and they made the transition and moved to Rio, that was a big change in his life. And then... When Fluminense realised that this was a, a real talent and his mum, who I mentioned earlier on, was speaking about the financial difficulties that she was facing and they had to support her and make sure that she was happy, I think that that really helped his development. But then also, and there's a, there's a quote in the piece, it centres on the fact that there was an opportunity that arose when a striker was ruled out and João Pedro got given this opportunity and he grabbed it with both hands. And then he sort of became, in the underage groups in, in Fluminense, this sort of talismanic figure that was almost sort of older than his years. 
And there's a moment in a game where they'd gone down, his coach looked over to him and he could see a spark in his eyes that had basically said, look, I understand the situation and I'm showing maturity here. And he went on and had a big impact in the game. And then from there, he just went from strength to strength. And the way that he came in to the Fluminense first team and just he burst onto the scene. We hear that sort of quite often, but he really, really did. The amount of goals that he scored in that initial period. And yes, okay, they were in, it was in a struggling side and he wasn't able to sort of do that throughout the season, but he was playing men's football very much as a, as a kid and it was a good schooling. But it's been fascinating to see, you know, even watching a lot of clips of him playing in Brazil, you know, and looking strong and looking, you know, powerful, that even from, from there coming over to, English football, playing in the Premier League, playing in the Championship, that there has also needed to be a physical transition for him over here. And, you know, lockdown almost served him well because he was able to bulk up. And, you know, we're seeing the, we're seeing the sort of rewards of that hard work, I think, now in the Championship, which is such a brutal league. Games coming thick and fast, but also some real sort of cart horse defenders charging after you and <laughs> flying in with challenges. And he has been... You know, some of the touches, there was just that one touch against Preston. Yes, we saw the goal against Derby, which was, was fantastic and, you know, scored his other goals. But it didn't really come to anything. But that touch against Preston on the halfway line, just to pivot away from, I think, about two or three players, dink it over the top of them and then burst forward. You just thought, right, this boy is special. And it might take a little bit of time, but Watford have got a great, great player on their hands. And that was shown by the fact that they beat a lot of bigger clubs, the likes of Man City, the likes of um, Liverpool to his signature. And that was a sort of a, a legacy move they'd already done with Richarlison, who he'd watched at Fluminense himself. So it's a really interesting story. And I, I hope people sort of enjoy the, the detail that Jack and, and I were able to go into because we really enjoy doing it. You know, you start off doing this, these pieces and you think, how are we going to piece this all together? But then it, it comes together and you really, you really enjoy doing it. So, you know, I enjoy doing it and I'm really enjoying watching him play football at the moment that that background really is fascinating I and mean, we've spoken about Adrian Mariapa and the sort of slight setback that he had when he wasn't giving a scholarship and there was a little bit in the piece where Adam mentions that he, he he didn't it wasn't quite happening for him when he was this is when yeah. he was quite a little bit younger he was being moved around position and there was a moment where where the flame went out a little bit or he didn't see he wasn't that rising star just for just for a small period but he obviously fought his way back and it's it's so rewarding to read that isn't it when when you see someone who is has got talent they've they've had a bit of a challenge and they and they've and they've come back and, and managed to to blaze a career it's slightly sort of feel bad for him when you talk when you read about him coming over and obviously it's a it's what for the premier league side at the time now he's he's sort of uh in the championship but but it he does strike me as a player who will will take that in his stride adam what really interested me from a watford point of view as well sort of jumping forward to the future and what is quite quite clear is that the the richarlison um uh, example was one that that was extremely helpful in in terms of, of getting that deal over the line. So much so that you ask, whether, you've got to ask whether that deal would have been done if it wasn't for for Watford doing what they did with Richarlison. And you know, it, it, there's two things that that cross my mind. One, are we going to get to a stage where opposition scouts are scouting Watford scouts to make sure that they get there first? Because, you know, how many times will these these teams want to be beaten to the punch? But then as I sort of thought about that in my own head, are actually clubs 
let's take Everton as the as the example. Happy for Watford to do the groundwork, happy for them to pay the smaller fee, and then happy for the, to, to to pay more money further down the line. Or does it suit the bigger clubs for for Watford to do that? Or are we going to find ourselves getting getting pipped to the pipped to the punch? Uh, a little, I'm mixing met- metaphors there, I think, aren't I? Which is not, not from the rookery end if I'm not mixing a metaphor, <laughs> is it? Our other clubs, our bigger clubs, not going to put up with being beaten to the punch as often. Which way round do, do you see it? And does the, did the research you did sort of indicate? I think that there's, there's two elements to bring into that. And one is obviously the change of rules once we leave the, mm. the EU is going to have an impact and, and bringing in overseas players that are under 18, the complexities of that will only increase. So I think that it's not going to be something that we see a lot of. Um, but Watford do have an advantage, obviously, being able to have players still come in to Europe, to Udinese, for example, and they can sort of house players there. And then maybe once they move above 18, then they can be brought over here. But I think that the, the important thing to, to think about, and this sort of touches on, a, on another piece that I did a, a while back about the Pozzo scouting network, that they are very conscious about being quite secretive because they don't want to be seen and they like the sort of anonymity. And that's why we don't necessarily hear um, a lot from, you know, the, the technical director, Filippo Giraldi, for example, because he, he likes to keep a relatively low profile, especially when, you know, if people don't recognise him when he's going out to, to games and things like that, then that suits them fine. But I think you're right that, yes, it works both ways. Watford will be able to... Um, look at the the body of work that they've had via the Pozzos for quite some time to always be able to refer to when they're, you know, offering a pathway to a player. And that involves bringing them to, yes, a smaller club in Italy, Udinese, or Watford in England. And then that stepping stone will be the next big step. So I think it works. I think it works. But there is also, you know, that they do will obviously want to try and get there first because they're not going to have to pay as much money and they pride themselves on their on their recruitment and their scouting network so i think it will continue in that form but you're right that it does um you know if you keep on having this this excellent body of work and bringing in young players like jao pedro or like richarlison you're, you're right people will be going right yeah just just check out where watford are at the moment but then you have to be quite, you have to be covert don't you you have to be as as covert as you can be and use your connections it's it's a it's a business and you're gonna have to be sort of you're going to have to be crafty. And that's what Watford have been able to, to be and, and savvy. Probably that's probably the better word, savvy rather than crafty. <laughs> Do you think, Adam, the, it's actually better for the, the clubs if Watford buy a player like we did Joe Pedro for eight million? Because if we then sell them on for 50, they'll then get, let's say, another 10 for, for sell on percentages as a round number. Um, that actually is worthwhile them selling players to smaller clubs like Watford that are in the Premier League or around the Premier League so that they will actually get more money in the long run. Yeah, it's a good point. But I think there is also sort of a a risk assessment um, connected to the whole um, process as well. Because, you know, if you are recruiting younger players, there's not always guarantees that they are going to be this great success as well. And I mean, it's it's interesting. I did a, a piece for The Athletic narrating this podcast called Beyond the Headline and it concentrated on on Neymar and his move from Barcelona to Paris Saint-Germain. But it actually talked about his path um, from Brazil uh, and he stayed at uh, Santos where he was playing. 
for quite a long period. You know, usually young players, and I was thinking about Jao Pedro and I was thinking about Richarlison, you know, they leave in their late teens. He stayed in, into his 20s because they thought, now hang on, this is a really, really special player that can win us big titles. And he's also big in Brazil. So, you know, it shows that sometimes these players are, are let go because, yes, they're big talents, but there's not 100% guarantees that they're going to be to the ilk of, of Neymar. So you can see the sort of the different route through um, from Brazil into European football. And the hope will always be that you can end up as big as Neymar. But then there might be a sort of a process where you're Richarlison for a bit and then you improve as you go through the years. So I don't know. It's fascinating. The whole, the whole sort of world of recruitment and, and actually making these deals happen. And let's not forget, for them ending up at Vicarage Road, playing at Watford, is, is just, it's fantastic. It's balmy. And it's, it's, it just makes, it makes for a, a very exciting time as a fan and also as a journalist covering it. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Part of the Athletic Podcast Network. This is from the Rookery End. So, guess what? We've been recording the podcast, and I've got an email. I am going to Vicarage Road on Saturday. <laughs> I can't believe it. That's amazing. So, yes. John, are you going to stand in the in the corner of the Rookery End and the Sir Elton John End after the game and just have a conversation with yourself while you record the podcast <laughs> live outside the ground? Or would oh. you like us to sort of come to Watford and just look daggers at you and stand there after no we won't do that we wouldn't be allowed to do that yeah but um yeah that's very exciting john congratulations Amazing. I, mean, I mean i really didn't read i wasn't i was i was wanting to go back but after as you heard on saturday's podcast listening to everybody and their stories about what it means to go back i am dying to go back there now i was wanting to go back but now i'm dying to go back and i've i'm lucky enough to have uh, made it through the ballot how did that feel john i mean getting seeing that email uh well you talk talking as i got it and i wanted to go yeah <laughs> I've got a golden ticket. I've got a golden ticket. I've got a golden ticket. Well, yeah. that's great. I mean, it's and and I, I talked about you know people getting more out of their footballing experience, and straight away, just the return of supporters. You know, Collins, you know, bouncing from one foot to the other to check his email now to see if he's going. John, you've obviously had that, you know, that moment when it's like, I guess it's like opening your exam results, really, isn't it? You see the email. And that you wasn't check a good it. experience, Mike. And, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> no. And you've got and you've got that elation, and there'll be one thousand nine hundred and ninety nine other people going through a similar thing now, which is which is wonderful, and it's and it's fabulous to hear you excited. And I just hope that you know more people are getting going to get more out of their um, their Watford watching uh, experience in the uh, in the coming weeks and months. And uh, obviously, a lot of that will be down on, on to the pitch, but bit by bit, we're getting those little enjoyable elements back into into our lives which is so congratulations Sean I'm thrilled for you if you look at what happened um to that team up the road that we uh, we don't talk about very often they had 2000 people in today and they battered the league the, the team top of the mm. table so maybe the 2000 fans can really bring something uh, and energize the players in a way that we watched 
tonight a rather lacklustre display from both sides and if maybe 2000 Forest fans had been in the ground they would have maybe had a bit more ambition uh, and, and, and I think the same will, will hold true hopefully when we play Cardiff on Saturday you'll be one of them John but I, I do think uh, people go well it's not that many people it won't make any difference but I think it will I think the yeah. players must be hungry to have fans you know in, you know, and it's particularly at Vicarage Road where they're so close to the pitch just to see faces to see the passion the yellow scarves the screaming the shouting at the ref the pointing at the linesman all of that just will give them an extra you know few percentage uh, points of adrenaline hopefully raise their game and we'll just see uh, you know football with a bit more intensity because it has been a quite lacklustre uh, few weeks really football wise you skated over um, our friends at the M1 there Colin quite rightly so we won't we won't dwell on them too much but I think it is worth highlighting their game for another reason tonight which is that the the league leaders have lost there um so they've lost three was it three three one three two three one three one yeah uh, three one um and we haven't so the top the team top of the table has lost away they've they've shipped three and we've we've come away with a point and a and a clean sheet so perhaps that's a little bit of a little bit of context as well as we uh, take ourselves off to bed i don't like that mike <laughs> Stop almost it. positive, John. Almost I positive. Well, don't I, don't, do I, it. I, I haven't been feeling well all day today, so oh, okay. that's uh, so it's a bit of uh, whatever it is. Oh, <laughs> so it's the painkillers. Okay, <laughs> I hear, I get it. Yeah, yeah, right. Cool. Well, thank you very much for your time, Michael. Even though you're not 100, <laughs> percent not at all. And uh, look, I just think, yeah, let's let's stick with it. Let's see where it goes. And and to, to everyone who is who is there on 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 Saturday, have have an amazing time. And uh, yeah, I think as we as we heard from from Ag Mariapa. The crowd makes a difference. So uh, sing and dance. Well, do what you're allowed to do. Just make make the most of it. And um, yeah, congratulations to everyone that's going. And um, I'm excited about that little bit of of normality coming back to to our footballing lives. I think it's important. Thank you very much, Colin. Oh, hold on, hold on. I've just got my email. Oh gosh. Oh 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 oh. Hold on. <laughs> I'm opening it now. A response to your Cardiff ballot. Oh, hold on. We write to inform you that your ballot application for this weekend's game against Cardiff City has been unsuccessful. Uh. <laughs> so it's just you, John. Have a great time. Oh, I will. Thank you so much. And look forward to seeing as many of you uh, as possible, uh, even if I don't recognise you behind masks uh, on Saturday at Vicarage Road, because Cardiff City are visiting and 2,000 Watford fans will be in that stadium for the first time since Watford won 3-0 against Liverpool. We're back after that game for another podcast to see, hey, what's next in this story of Watford season of 2020-2021. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code The Athletic, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a fifteen hundred dollar first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works: Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code The Athletic. Make your first deposit of at least ten dollars. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.